This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get to today's Browns film breakdown of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, come to talk to you guys about Harry's Razors again. We'll continue to do so as long as they are a part of the Blue Wire Network. I love Harry's personally, guys. Gives you a close shave. It's an easy glide. It's a low price. It can contour to any part of your face. It's fantastic stuff. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price and just $2 a blade. It's a super convenient company. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on schedule with or without a subscription and there is no risk to you for trying them out if you don't love your shave let them know they'll give you a full refund listeners of this show browns film breakdown can redeem their harry's trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire you'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade rich lathering shave gel aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go so go to harrys.com slash blue wire that's harrys.com slash blue wire to start shaving better today and we're off to the podcast baker mayfield undraftable off my board the cleveland browns select baker mayfield Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, doing as much as I can to wrap my mind around what is going on with the Cleveland Browns and pass it along to you because it is a it is a frustrating situation. They lose once again to fall to two and five to the now eight and zero New England Patriots, twenty seven to thirteen, and um, it was it was a game full of frustration. It was a uh, um, you know, a game that I thought the Browns had a, a shot to hang around in and possibly steal. I thought it was a good time to catch New England coming on a short week, and especially with the Browns coming off of a bye week, uh, a nice time to prepare and get healthy. And they were healthy for the most part, other than Demarius Randall. Um, they were, uh, you know, ready to play, and they played up to par. It was a nasty weather day, as you all saw watching the game, and that impacted some things, not not everything. I was pretty impressed with how both quarterbacks handled the weather, to be honest, especially Mayfield, you know, given the um, <clears throat> inordinate amount of pressure that New England puts on quarterbacks. So, uh, yeah, let's just, let's just talk through sort of what happened, and then we're going to hit on, uh, you know, sort of where Freddie Kitchens is and where this team is as they head into this important now second half of the season to try to figure out how they can uh, repair what has been a disappointment so far. So looking at the numbers for this game, New England has 19 first downs to Cleveland's 15. Neither team were very good on third down. Cleveland just 3 of 12. New England 5 of 16. Uh, total net yards were pretty similar. 310 for Cleveland, 318 for New England. 
58 offensive plays for Cleveland, 66 for New England, not a big discrepancy. Cleveland actually outgained them in yards per play at 5.3 to 4.8. Cleveland outrushed them, 159 rushing yards to only 79 for New England. It was a net 151 passing yards, although Baker Mayfield threw for 194. There were five sacks, which they took those five sacks yardage out of there. New England threw for 239. Big difference there. Um, here is the, the two categories that, that are the difference in the game, though, guys. It is penalties, which Cleveland had 13 for 85 yards, and New England only had four for 32, and turnovers, three turnovers for Cleveland, which directly resulted in 13 points, I do believe, and no turnovers for New England. Uh, pretty similar time of possession. So, uh, you know, individual performers have played well. We mentioned Mayfield, 20 of 31, 194, relatively clean game. The pitch I don't think he should have made that turned into an interception, a little bit silly. I think he could have realized that that defensive end, Kyle Vanor, or sorry, uh, um, Lawrence Guy was crashing right into his face and, and, and not pitch that ball, but uh, he pitches it and it gets it gets caught, and that counts as an interception due to the forward pitch. So he has a touchdown and an interception. Nick Chubb runs 20 times for 131 yards, no touchdowns. Um, unfortunately, two lost fumbles. Ten targets for uh, Jarvis Landry, seven targets for Odell Beckham. Both end up with five catches, 65 yards for Landry, thir- sorry, 52 for Odell Beckham. Demetrius Harris has a 33-yard touchdown. He ends up with, or um, sorry, shorter than that. He ends up with two catches for 33 yards and a touchdown. Dontrell Hilliard has four catches, 24 yards. Antonio Callaway, two for 11. Defensively, Joe Schobert ends up with 11 tackles. Olivier Vernon, who played his butt off with six tackles and an or sorry, a sack. And um, Denzel Ward with five tackles. Miles Garrett only with four tackles, but he has a sack late in the game. Eric Murray had a sack as well, so they got to Tom Brady three times. On the other side, Brady was 20 of 36, 259, a couple touchdowns, kind of a typical Tom Brady day in the rain, never really threw anything that was altogether too risky, just kind of took what Cleveland allowed him to have. 21 carries, 74 yards for Sony Michelle. Uh, Julian Edelman is the one who hurts Cleveland with 11 ca- or sorry, 11 targets, 8 catches, 78 yards, a couple touchdowns. Uh, James White, the 59-yard screen pass, turns his day into a net positive of four catches, 75 yards. Philip Dorsett catches a 33-yard ball at the sideline, which makes him go three for 43 on the day. Jamie Collins, redemption game against the Browns, 13 total tackles, uh, one and a half sacks for him. Um, uh, Butler has uh, two ta- sorry, four tackles, two sacks, 17 and a half yards lost. Lawrence Guy has the interception that goes in back for a touchdown. And, um, you know, that's it of note uh, for New England. So, um, you know, penalties and turnovers, which we're going to talk about. And I've, I've made this point uh, as, as best that I can. Like, these penalties, the, the, the constant motion penalties, and um, it seems like just, just a really weird, the hands to the face. Like, it just seems like it's players messing. Look, I don't think Freddie Kitchens, and he said this in this press conference, I don't think he's coaching guys to do silly things I don't think he's coaching guys to jump off side like that th- that's not necessarily what they're teaching it's I take out necessarily it's not what they're teaching I've, I've coached guys I've run an offense before myself way smaller but you are in charge of a unit and Freddie's in charge of the offensive unit and they are continually making mistakes and then the defensive unit which yes is run by Steve Wilkes but it's ultimately a reflection up the line. I said this on Twitter, like like I mentioned a minute ago. You know, when the team wins, the head coach gets probably too much credit. When the team loses, the head coach probably gets too much blame. It's it's fair or unfair. It's that position of importance. And um, 
You know, if your guys are not winning football games, however that's happening, whether that's poor quarterback play, whether that's the issues with penalties or fumbles, it ultimately comes back on the head coach. And um, that's where we are at right now. I don't think Freddie Kitchens is spending time teaching guys to, to, to grab face masks or uh, hold on screenplay, but there's, there's a lack of discipline on an individual player basis, and there is a lack of accountability and a lack of execution that is not happening with this group, and it is in large part uh, a reflection of the head coach. We said that under Hugh Jackson. We have to say it here. The Browns are leading the NFL in penalties and yardage, I'm pretty sure. They're close to it, if not the top. They have to be. They're the only team with more than 13 penalties in a game twice this year. They had this one with 13 in the uh, opener with with uh, uh, 18 penalties. And I'm not even sure this counts the penalties that New England declined, like as an illegal shift and some of those other things. So it's like, um, you know, it, it's, it's a fair or unfair thing, but the team's production and performance is a reflection of the head coach, and every head coach in the history of head coaches would tell you that exact line. And right now they're not getting it done, and um, it ultimately reflects on the head coach, and that's why the frustration is evident. That's why, um, you know, the situation with, with Freddie and what his redeeming qualities are as a head coach are, are sort of in question. Now, there there's things that Freddie can't control, like... You know, the Browns go down 3 nothing. They've had a possession. They end up punting. You know, some things uh, are pretty standard in this game right now. Nothing crazy. And the Browns get the football back for their second possession. One play, first and ten. They run, you know, a simple outside zone, wide zone scheme they run all the time. Actually, I think this one was a counter because they had a pulling guard or a power play. One of the two I have to look at the film to be um, for certain, but, you know, Actually, I think it was counter because the, the defensive end goes low on Batonio, flips Batonio up in the air, and Batonio's foot, and I tweeted the video out on my Twitter page, catches the football and then slides down the football, pulls Nick Chubb's hand off the football for a split second, and that is enough in this wet driving rain to squirt the football out of his hands, bounces right to New England, right into Dante Hightower's hands, and he runs it back. Um you know, uh, 26 yards and it's a touchdown. Just seems like those things happen to Cleveland. It's the weirdest Murphy's Law things. The Browns then come back out again. Nick Chubb and the, and the Browns run a uh, sort of pin-pull uh, scheme where they're pulling, the. I think they pull both guards, which is a good thing to do against New England because they don't handle run schemes that pull multiple, uh, you know, offensive linemen. And they bust it. They run it. I, th- I think Nick Chubb's going to score a touchdown. 44 yards downfield, the ball is stripped. Uh, Jones comes in and strips it off the right side. He fumbles it again. So in two plays, two fumbles, recovered by Devin McCourty. So New England then, actually, I think New England ends up punting after that one. So it didn't even truly hurt. It did totally flip the field position. But then the very next play, they they run, you know, Landry in the slot. They're running almost like a jet counter scheme. And they pitch the ball and, you know, Mayfield probably shouldn't pitch the ball because Lawrence Guy just absolutely crashes inside and defeats. You know, he's quicker inside than Landry can get down the line. Joe Batonio doesn't get the down block, and it's intercepted. So three plays of one-play drives where the ball is turned over by fumbles and goofy missed assignments. And there's, like, those things aren't all together on Freddie. Like, yeah, sure, New England did a nice job kind of – I don't even know. They're not. They're, they're not on Freddie. They're on players. But ultimately, it's his players' jobs to produce for him. And if that doesn't happen, 
it's a reflection of the offense. And from there, the offense was fine. I mean, New England scores, it's 17-0, but, you know, the game ends 27-13. It gets to 17-7. The Browns end up scoring um, on a nice uh, corner throw. I think it was just out of a 3-by-1 or maybe 2-by-2 where they throw a corner um, route to Demetrius Harris that is a nice throw up the left sideline. Um, you know, against man-to-man coverage with the Browns doing a nice job of sort of managing, keeping themselves into situations where they can manage that pressure well, throw some quick screens, do some different things. And uh, I thought they did a nice job. And it was 17-7. They had a little confidence, right? It's a 21-yard touchdown. New England gets the football back. They end up going down the field. But uh, I think Cleveland ends up blocking the kick. I think that was the drive. It was a pretty ridiculously lengthy drive because New England kept getting help by penalties. If you're going through this drive, we'll just go through it real quick. One penalty, uh, you know, a hold on Greedy Williams, and then uh, Devereaux Lawrence, illegal use of the hands to the face. I think you get that's the fourth down play where one of Freddie Kitchen's two terrible challenges. Like, I don't know, you know, as a coach at the, at the college or high school level, you typically have guys in the box who are, who are spotters who are telling your coach, hey, you need to challenge that, or you don't need to challenge that, whatever is the case. Freddie's propensity to challenge things that are pretty obvious has become a big problem. And, like, he challenges that fourth down catch that is clearly right at the line if he has spotters. And whether he's not listening to his spotters or he's overruling them, that's a discussion that I don't know and none of us know. Um, but he's not forced to listen to them, and he can make those decisions on his own to say, I'm not going to challenge that play because I don't think it's worth it here, or I know he didn't get it if he's watching things. So I'm not sure what's up with that system, but I just know it's not effective enough. Then you get another illegal use of hands on a second and 10, and um, luckily Cleveland's able to block the field goal, and then you go into halftime 17-7. The Browns get the football back and go out and go down the field, 12 plays, 55 yards, do a really nice job of getting in uh, in field goal position, run the ball for 16 yards, 12 yards. They ran the football down the field, and it almost almost felt like they were imposing their will on New England. That was a good drive, and I thought when it got to 17-10, the Browns had a real shot at something here, and uh, unfortunately it ends on a third and four where there's a, a legal shift penalty, but they end up having taking a sack anyway. It wasn't even a play that would have gone on, but... Those are the little things, the legal shift penalties. It's just the little things they're not handling. So then, you know, Cleveland obviously kicks a field goal. Then New England comes back out, and it's third and ten. Cleveland's putting pressure on New England pretty consistently from the 16-yard line, and they just call a simple screen to the boundary, running back screen, and it there's just nobody home. It's 59 yards, and that completely changes the game because from there it's it's another screen to Burkhead on second and ten. For nine yards, they run for a first down, and then Julian Edelman catches a ball and a Tom Brady rare scramble where he's rolling to the right. 84 yards, seven plays, only took two minutes and 26 seconds. So it gets there at that point to 24-10, and, and halfway through the third quarter, it kind of once again feels like it's insurmountable. And it sort of seemed to be for the Browns' defense. They, they were unable to muster any drive of significance Unfortunately, they, they, they had a nice drive going early fourth quarter where they threw that little pick play. And look, I don't think it was pass interference. I think if he's running a line, Callaway's running down the line and is not moving off of that line and deliberately running into a player going out of his way, I think it's a fine play. But unfortunately, 
that's not how they see it. They call that penalty. Freddie, for, for, for whatever reason on earth, decides that he needs to challenge that. Like, I just, <laughs> is he watching the red? They're not over. They're not overruling defensive pass interference, or sorry, offensive pass interference calls, or defensive pass interference. They're just not changing them. So why waste a challenge there? It doesn't even make any sense. So Cleveland ends up going third and thirteen, almost intercepted ball. Uh, they punt, and the rest of the game they can't seem to figure anything out. New England goes down after that punt, eleven play, sixty-two yard drive, and uh, and scores and. And you know Cleveland has effectively rendered the game complete with uh, seven minutes and forty-six seconds left. It's a three-score game, and nothing else of significance seems to really happen. So, <laughs> other than I will say the fourth down and eleven. So it's it's fourth and eleven, and uh, Cleveland lines up to punt. They automatically take a false start, which is very weird. I don't know why you wouldn't just. I guess you don't take a delay there so that you save time with the false start, but like you only have one timeout left at that point because Browns had to burn another timeout because of a miscommunication, and it's it's like you only have one timeout and you're already down three scores at that point. Just use your timeout and save the five yards, and 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 keep giving your guys on offense a chance. Fourth and sixteen, they take a sack the next play, so it's like. What are you doing? Why are you doing? It doesn't even. This is like the draw against the Rams, or um, you know the Seattle go for two scores before half uh, thing. Like he just he does some really weird things, and this like that situation and admitting it, and it's it's <laughs> I don't I don't know. It is it is bizarre, especially when your offense isn't functioning well. Like if you have an offense that's hot, I guess that's an okay thing to try. Uh, and, and maybe if the game's a little bit closer, I guess, and it's desperation time, but that's just, it's just like eyeballingly silly. And and um, yeah, I, I want to talk about where they're at as uh, as a coaching staff and sort of where they're at as an offense. Uh, but before we do so, I want to talk to you guys real quick about ShipStation. ShipStation is 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 one of the best companies right now helping you sell products and get them shipped out the door quickly at minimal cost to you. Holiday rush is coming. It's all going to be blowing up. And if you sell things, memorabilia, things you make, or anything of that nature, uh, ShipStation is the stuff that you need to be able to get in on right now. Because, um, you know, more people buying online than ever. You have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, affordably. You know, how do you keep track of all of those orders? How do you decide which carrier to use or if you're getting the best rates? That's where ShipStation jumps in. Just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, getting those products out the door, and delivered in time for the holidays. No matter what you're selling, whether it's something on Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all those orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works for all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any company or business can access the same postage discounts they usually reserve for the large Fortune 500 companies by using ShipStation. You'll always know that you're getting that best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates. Those are available at ShipStation. Take the hassle out of holiday shopping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE, B-L-U-E, to get a free 60-day trial. That's two months free of no hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. 
Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, type in blue, B-L-U-E, that's ShipStation.com, enter the offer code blue, ShipStation, make ship happen. So now the Browns sit at 2-5, and five and you just kind of analyze, um, you know, where they're at with things. Like, you know, it's too early for Freddie Kitchens' uh, situation in terms of his, his fate, his ultimate fate with the Browns. I'm on the fence I'm not sure it's going to work out. Look, he's young. He can learn a lot. But you like tendencies and you like growth. And I'm not seeing those things, um, not from the team and not from him personally. And it's not just like the fumbles, the penalties, whatever. I'm talking about coaching, head coaching decisions. I'm not enjoying um, the, the mistakes that are happening from him. He doesn't seem to have the demeanor that is needed for the position and all of those things that I, I thought he would have. Now, this is not a knock. Like I'm not trying to tear Freddie Kitchens down. He can be a fine coordinator in this league. He was a fine coordinator last year. He's still putting together some solid game plans, but there's more to being a head coach than putting together game plans. There's an entire team you're working with, and um, there are things that are being missed. Like the play-action structure of the Browns, which I'm going to write on later this week, and how poorly they they handle play-action and making their run-action look like a run before the pass, it is astoundingly bad, and it is just minor details that are being missed, and those minor details become major. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm not sure about Freddie. I, I'm not sure it's going to work long term and listen I'm not trying to be that guy hindsight revision I I wanted Freddie Kitchens to be the head coach I thought they had caught lightning in a bottle here but you never know how a guy is going to handle being a head coach until he is the head coach and right now it is not working it is two and five now listen they've played some good teams but they're also going to play good teams the second half of the year for somewhat you know you're still facing Denver who has a top four coverage unit and Buffalo has a top defense um, the schedule does lighten up, but but if the way the Browns are playing and the penalties and the mistakes and the turnovers, it is hard to see it just working out uh, and saying, hey, man, this is going to work out. But the goal is that the Browns try to get to 6-6. Six and six. That's going 3-1 and one over your next four games, and those are winnable games. You can win some of those football games, you know, between Pittsburgh, uh, you know, you have, Den- or you have Denver and Buffalo. You have winnable games in that stretch. So the hope is that the Browns can find a way to get to 6-6, six and six, see where that sits with them in the rest of the division, and then go into the final four games with a shot to go 9-7, and 10-6, and six, and possibly sneak into the playoffs. That's where they're at. That can be done. That's on the table. The margin for error is now is, 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 is very narrow, but they still can do those things if the second half of the schedule is something they can dominate because they will have to dominate. They can only really lose two more games over a uh, – over the course of their next nine. So that task is daunting. But again, I will say, getting to 6-6 six and six is paramount um, to, to looking at your final month of the season and and uh, and have have that ability to, 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 to maybe sneak into the playoffs as a wild card. And you never know how things are going to work out in the division. So um, just put your best foot forward, wipe it away, and try to figure it out uh, over these, I, I would say it's two four-game stretches to sort of figure out where you're going to be by the end of the year and having a chance. If they if they can't handle these next few upcoming games, uh, the season will be over sooner than we all hoped it would, and it will be a disaster for what we expected. Look, I think from this game, I think you took away, the Browns still run the football effectively. They, they have a way of, uh, you know, that wide zone scheme uh, that they love to run and allow Nick Chubb to cut off or, 
or run outside the tackle is a fantastic run play for them, and it's been really good. They're moving linemen well. They still ran for 131 yards in New England. The fumbles suck, but they're still running the football very well. I think Justin McCray was decent at left tackle. We'll have to watch the tape. I do think the impact of Greedy Williams and, uh, and Denzel Ward were there. I'm not sure Greedy will grade out well, but I thought he was okay enough. Uh, Denzel will probably grade out really well. I thought it sort of finally looked like the guy we saw last year, which is good. Baker Mayfield made strides. I think he looks better. Uh, sorry, he looked better you know, today than he has looked in a while, was decisive. He did throw uh, you know, that interception on the pitch, but that probably makes up for the ball that he threw right into Stephon Gilmore's hands. So it balances itself out. He's still... Not there. I mean, he's he's got a long way to go. He is not in the upper tier of quarterbacks right now. But I did see some encouraging steps in a, in a really raucous environment, terrible weather, and I thought the offense, if they don't turn the football over, they could have put up enough points, 21, 24 points enough to win that game. But that was not the case. The problem I have is where they're at with this, 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 this whole structure. I'm not sure um, what their plan is long term. I get what they were trying to do in the off season, but I'm just kind of going on the record. I'm going to probably slowly start writing about this and talking about this, that they don't need a star receiver. I think Odell Beckham is a great player. He's been a great presence in Cleveland, but I don't think Baker Mayfield is the type of quarterback that is 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 going to ever need a star wide receiver. He is an open throw it guy. I think he needs really good tight end play. I think he needs um, really good offensive line play, and I think the run game helps him. But I don't think he needs really elite wide receivers. I don't think he needs a guy like Odell. And um, that's not to say Odell can't stay here and play, but there are some things going on that he's not playing up to par. He feels like he's not getting the football enough, and I just don't think Mayfield is that type of quarterback that allows that to happen. You know, Odell, in my opinion, needs a bigger, taller pocket man managing quarterback who can give him time to work those routes downfield double moves whatever that he's most effective doing so I'm not sure that that's a fit I think the Browns just need a diverse set of wide receivers with a nice skill set that can get open can be sound and be where they're needed to be when they need to be there I just don't think that 13 is a necessary part of this whole operation does that mean you could get something for him? I think if you can get something for Odell, I think you listen. I think if you can get and recoup some of the things you lost in that trade, I would at least listen. I'm just saying I don't think Mayfield needs that wide receiver type. He needs, like I said, good tight ends, sound offensive line play, and the ability to to, to keep doing what he likes to do, which is kind of spread out the matchups, the opportunities to guys that he trusts, uh, in big, big physical wide receivers, he likes to dating back to Mark Andrews at Oklahoma, um, and then he can get the ball out quickly to playmakers like he had Hollywood Brown, those guys. And I think last year, if you even look at it, between Higgins and Landry, those guys aren't, you know, elite speed guys, but they had somebody like Perriman. Callaway was playing consistently. It's just like the, the, there's been nothing better about this offense. Um, there's there's been nothing improved with Odell Beckham, and that's now a seven. Full game sample size. So I don't know. I'm just saying I would listen to offers if those come in because it is not something I think Mayfield needs and it is not something that they need to spend a ton of capital on. And like I said, if somebody wants that and they're willing to give up something significant for it, 
I would at least listen because there are some holes the Browns need to fill. Tackle is one of them. Right guard remains an issue. The uh, interior defensive line, Larry Ogunjobi, is not getting the job done. And, um, you know, among some other things at safety or whatever, I'm just uh, I'm listening to everything this week, and I'm listening to everything in the offseason because if somebody makes that right offer, it's um, – you know, it's something I would at least listen to because I've just sort of started to feel this way about the way Baker Mayfield plays, that it is uh, it's something he doesn't necessarily need, and he doesn't need people tapping him on the shoulder talking about getting him the football. So that's where I'm at. I think there are some positives if you want to take positives away from this game that can be found. There's a lot of negatives still. Only team in the NFL in seven games that has 70 penalties. They lead the NFL in seven when, you know, like I said, seven games and seven penalties, ten penalties a game. Everybody ranked behind the Browns, two through seven, have only played eight games. That's a wild statistic to think about. That's how many penalties the Browns are putting forth. And the turnovers are outrageous. Another three turnovers tonight. So, I don't know. This team could figure it out. They could go on a roll. The schedule in this, this last half could allow for that. But it is also... Everybody who sees the Browns right now on their schedules chalking it up as a win because they're not playing good football. And if the status quo remains unchanged, they're going to be a team that's going to struggle to go 500 the rest of the way. So hopefully that changes. Hopefully they can get to 6-6. Six and six. I don't know how. I'm not in Berea. I don't know um, what the coaches' meetings are looking like or how they're going to change things. They've already had their bye week now. So it's on to Denver. You travel out to Denver again, which will be difficult in nature. Not a good Broncos team, certainly not a good offense over there, and they traded away their best weapon, a wide receiver, and a terrible offensive line, but they have good defense. And if you don't take care of the football, they will create turnovers and cause hell, and it'll be a close game, and you just don't want to be in those games in Denver. So we'll see, folks. We will see. We'll come back later this week. I want to bring on uh, somebody from Denver, try to get a conversation going about where they're at, what they're doing. We'll see if we can do that. Not many Denver connections, but uh, we'll put out some feelers and see what we can come up with. But otherwise, you know, hang in there, guys. I wanted to turn the game off five times today, but didn't turn it off. We suffer through. We're Browns fans till the end. We keep watching. Hopefully it turns like it did the last half of last year that felt so fun. And um, don't let it ruin your day. Don't let it ruin your week. Go, Go about your life. Appreciate things that are more important than the game of football that we watch on TV every Sunday. So I appreciate you guys listening. I will uh, I will do my best to be uh, putting some good content on the OBR. I'd love it if you subscribe there. Give us a run. See what you think. See what you think of my film studies. If you listen to this podcast, you would probably enjoy those because I do some deep dives on stuff. So uh, as always, appreciate you guys subscribing to iTunes, leaving comments in there. Those things always help me. Listen to other Blue Wire podcasts that are out there on multiple teams. Uh, across the NFL, the NBA is kicking up. Listen to the Chase Down Pod with the Cavaliers guys. They do a great job too. So, uh, as usual, we'll sign off the way we always do. We'll see you later this week. Go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.